0: Hello and welcome to Leading the Way. Today, Dr. Michael Yusuf takes you to the last few words in 1 Corinthians. Paul saves this time to talk candidly about giving to the kingdom. Now don't worry, this is not a message where Paul or Dr. Yusuf guilt you into feeling bad about what you give or don't give, but a practical and compassionate word about aligning your life with kingdom priorities. Let's listen to Dr. Michael Yusuf on this episode of Leading the Way Audio.
1: I want to tell you a story about a young pastor. He finished seminary, and before he would serve in a church, he decided, for his own reason, that he is going to be a policeman for a period of time. And so he went to a police academy for six months, and then came the time for him to do the examination. So he passed his physical exam, he passed his mental alertness exam, he passed his test of uh, reacting quickly and wisely in emergency, and finally came the oral examination. And the examiner asked the question, what would you do to disperse a frenzy crowd? He thought for a moment, and he said, I'll take up a collection. <laughs> now, I think the Apostle Paul somehow understood that he did not want to disperse a frenzy crowd and that is why he left the issue of money giving to the last chapter, not the first. I think if he started with it, people would have said, well, I don't want to hear that. Close the book. But he left it to the end. But there is a serious side as to why the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decided to teach on giving immediately after He was teaching on the resurrection of Jesus and our own resurrection. As if he's getting ready to close the the, the book, as he finished the epistle, the apostle said, Now concerning the collection. You have to ask the question why? (laughs) Why, after he reached heaven itself, why must he go back to the nitty gritty issues of money? and giving of money. Why? And I'm telling you, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it because the apostle is going to answer it. Because heaven and money are interrelated. Heaven and money-giving are intertwined. Heaven and money-giving are intrinsically linked. Money and how you use money is closely tied up to the mansion in the sky. 1 Corinthians 16, but particularly verse 2. Here's the apostle reaching and teaching us a profound truth about giving. He is saying that when we give back to God, it ought not to be haphazardly. When we give back to God, it ought not to be in response to some emotional appeal. When we give to God, it ought not to be in response to whoever screams the loudest, or it not to be done out of feeling of guilt and whomever makes you feel guilty. Here in First Corinthians 16, the Word of God is helping us to exercise our spiritual responsibility toward laying up treasures in heaven. And it goes as follows. Remember those three points? I'm going to come back to them again and again. He is teaching us to give with a planned regularity. He is teaching us to give with personal responsibility. And then he's teaching us, thirdly, to give proportionately. The one thing that you will notice about biblical giving, it is not based on impulse. How do I know that? (laughs) Because the Word of God here speaks about the collection in the context of the triumph of the resurrection. In the same breath where the Apostle Paul speaks of the fundamental doctrine, the core, the rock bed of the Christian faith, namely the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks about the offertory. In the same breath, he moves immediately from the triumph of the resurrection to the triumph of the collection. And the Apostle Paul here is obviously answering some questions that the Corinthians, we saw that in the very beginning. Corinthians were asking questions, how do I give? Where do I give? How? And he answers all these questions, So, but I don't want you to miss what he did not say. I don't want you to miss what he did not say. He did not say, give if you feel like it, or give out of sentiment and emotions, or give out of impulse or crisis, or give because some snake oil salesman tells you that you'll get rich and you're going to make him be able to buy his newest jet. No, that is not biblical. The apostle Paul, who could have drawn a word picture to depict the desperate needs of the saints, he did not. He could have sent him a picture of an initiated uh, little child and moved them to tears and reached out for their pocket, but he did not. Why? Because none of that is a biblical giving. Listen to me. I know that we need to move by needs, but I am telling you, the Apostle Paul wanted to teach us to give based on principle, not on Impulse. He wanted them to develop a holy habit, not a holy huddle mentality. Now, I want to get back to those three important principles that the Apostle Paul is teaching here. He said, we give with a sense of planned regularity. Look at verse 2 with me, please. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum. Grammar is very important in this particular um, I, I refer to it a couple of times. Because it's in the emphatic mood. You say, what does that mean? Why is that? Because Paul wants to drive home the point on the first day of the week. Why is the first day of the week in the emphatic? Why is that important? Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Jesus appeared to the disciples twice. Every time was on the first day of the week. The early Christian church, who were all Jewish... Remember that. They were all Jewish. They changed from worshiping on Saturday to Sunday because of this all-significant event of the resurrection. The first day of the week was far more significant to the early church than we can ever imagine because we did not live there and we only read about it. But listen to me. Think with me. Think with me. They saw with their own eyes the Lord whose eyes had been closed in death they saw their Lord whose lips were stilled in death. They saw uh, the Lord whose body was placed in the cave of death. But then on the third day, on Sunday morning, early hours of Sunday morning, He opened up that grave and He walked out leaving an empty tomb. (laughs) And that is why they immediately began to gather every early Sunday mornings, every early Sunday morning, to celebrate the glorious resurrection event. That was the beginning of it. And in the beginning, they had no meeting place, so they would meet in a corner in the temple. And then they began to gather in cemeteries where they've deposited their loved ones. And then they began to gather in catacombs and finally house churches. They did this to celebrate the resurrection and bring the collection. Both go hand in hand. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. You miss out on a blessing. But if we truly comprehend that giving is to be in the context of the resurrection, then we would stand up every Sunday morning as we come to worship and say and sing, Up from the grave He arose. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And then deposit our collection at the altar. Why? Because our giving is an integral part of our personal celebration of Jesus' resurrection and the anticipation of our own resurrection, as we saw from chapter 15. And that is why the Apostle Paul, exactly what he meant by planned regularity. Secondly, he said that our giving is an individual responsibility. Every one of And he said that. Look at verse 2 again with me. Chapter 16. He said, on the first day of the week, each. Can you say that with me? Each. each. one of you should sit aside. Each one of you. When the apostle Paul said each, each of you is in the emphatic position, which means it towers above the other words. The word each. Say it again. Each. Towers over them. What does that mean? Each one of us means no exception. No exception. No exception. Look, I try to put myself in the place of the Apostle Paul. Probably I would have made some exceptions. Probably. As if you followed the series of messages, we've seen how not many of the Corinthians were really powerful people, or rich people, and he says that. He said, "Not many of you are prominent. Uh, they were very ordinary people. In fact, they were modest means. But the apostle exempted no one. This is the most amazing thing. Let each of you, each of you, that is personal responsibility. I was ordained into the ministry, and I was unfaithful with my tithe and offering. It's the absolute truth. I'm going to explain to you. See, I tried to explain to God that I have given myself full-time to the ministry. Therefore, I don't need to tithe. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was very clear. Yusuf put the cash in there. Every time. But in those days, I used to think that I could bargain with God. I really did. Until 1972, that was the beginning of God working on me. That's my first year in seminary, 1972. And I was working in a parish, in a church, as a student pastor, not far from the city of Sydney. It's an older suburb, and so many of the parishioners were widows. Uh, there were shut-ins, and they couldn't even come to church. And so I went and asked the rector, I said, can I take one afternoon every week and go and visit these people? And I tell you, it was the highlight of my year. Most of them, as I said, were elderly and widows and living on what we call social security, period. And after I visit with them and I pray with them and, and about to leave, invariably, invariably, one of them would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't leave yet. I have not been able to take my envelopes. The church as a denomination used to send out 52 envelopes. Every Sunday, people would put the money in the envelopes and put it in the offering plate. And so they would say, wait a minute. I have been able to take the money to the church. I have been able to find somebody that will take it. And there may be two, three, or four envelopes left and have them all stacked up and they were handed to me. But now I'm confessing to you what went on through my mind when I held onto those envelopes. And it's to my shame. I would hold these envelopes in my hand and I look at the conditions where they were living and I'm tempted to say, oh no, not you 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 can't afford this we need to come here and help you out why because i was unfaithful in my giving but thank god i never done it had i done that i would have deprived these precious people of unspeakable blessings that comes from giving back to god now you have to understand my attitude was that exact Opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ is exact opposite of the Lord Jesus. That was my attitude because his last act of public ministry when he stood there over against the treasury in the temple, watching as these individual wealthy ones coming with music and trumpet and they deposit their gifts in the treasury box with song and dance and noise, and they were giving out of pittance out of their wealth, and there he watched and saw a poor widow, probably was hiding and probably was not trying to show what she has in her hand, and it was a mite. Our precious Lord Jesus, whose eyes penetrate into the very secrets of our hearts, knew that this was her all. It wasn't 10%, 20%, or 30%. It was her all. And instead of Jesus saying to her, Stop! You cannot do this! You cannot afford this! You are too poor to do this! You need to go inside and see the priests. They can help you. No. Our Lord commended her for all of the ages. And here we are in the 21st century talking about her. Our Lord said, Look at her! Look at what she did! And then he went out and did exactly the same. He gave his all. He gave his life. Beloved, the principle of personal responsibility and stewardship cannot be avoided. Listen to me again. The principle of individual stewardship cannot be avoided. You try all you want. If you try to do it according to the Word of God, or if I try to stop you, I would be stopping the possibility of God absolutely blessing you in every way. The only time God invited us as people, as his followers, as his children, to test him. You remember the, in the wilderness of temptation, said to the, he said to the devil, you must not test the Lord your God or put your God to the test. But there's only one time in the entire Bible that God said, test me, and that's in the area of money giving. He said, test me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much blessings. Planned regularity personal responsibility, and the third thing which actually drives the first two, proportionate return. On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum in keeping with his income, the NIV said, but I like the old translation, as God has prospered you, as God has prospered you. I love that. That's actually closer to the meaning. It means returning to God a portion of what God has blessed you with. Now, beloved, listen to me. The marvelous wisdom of God, listen to me, the marvelous wisdom of God's teaching here is it places the burden where the burden belongs. And the burden is not on you. Where is the burden placed? On God it completely rests with God, thus making the whole issue of stewardship as a matter of prospering activities in your life. When the tide comes in, and you have great material blessings, you return to Him the same percentage as when the tide goes out. And it comes in and goes out to all of us. And my beloved friends, that means that the basis of our giving is God's blessings in our lives. That's the basis. And no one, no one, no one, no one can cheat God. If you don't believe me, ask somebody who tried. As far as God is concerned, when you are faithful with a dollar, you're going to be faithful with a million dollars. That's the principle in which Jesus said, He was faithful with little, going to be faithful with much. But I can hear somebody saying, well, you see, Michael, Paul didn't say anything about 10%. He didn't say anything about tithing. You're right. You're listening carefully. You're reading carefully because he didn't have to say it. Dr. Lindzel has done the most massive work on a book which he calls The Sacred Tenth. In that book, He demonstrates from ancient literature that the earliest people, the earliest people from the Arcadians uh, to the Samaritans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and even the the Hebrew people who taught us that ten percent is the minimum, they all have practiced what they call the sacred tenth. Why? because we're created in God's own image, and because Adam and Eve was instructed to offer a sacrifice to God, and therefore they passed it on. Even when these nations have become pagan, they still practice the sacred tenth. Abraham gave the sacred tenth of his entire net worth, not just his income, to Melchizedek, who's the type of Christ. That was 400 years before the law was given to Moses. So nobody tells me that's legalistic. (laughs) Proportionate giving is both fair and flexible. If God had thundered from heaven and says, I want every one of you to give $10,000, that would not be fair, would it? For some people with large income, that wouldn't even touch their lifestyle. For prosperous students, (laughs) they probably haven't seen $10,000. And that is why God does not thunder from heaven an amount that tells us everybody should. No, he said proportionate. Now, here's a use of opinion. You know what to do with it, okay? When the tide of life comes in, the 10th is a starting place. When the tide of life goes out, the 10th is the minimum. Some time ago when I lived in Southern California, I was working in a church part-time to help me with my graduate studies and and an hour drive on Wednesdays and on Sundays from Pasadena to Van Nuys. And then I'll be driving this long distance, I discovered a preacher on radio during that time, and he was wonderful. He just lifted me up and encouraged me. And I remember one day, and you still remember it, 40 plus years later, I still remember it. He said, when the pastor says, pick up your hymnals. Well, we don't have hymnals now, but people say, amen. When the pastor says, pick up your Bibles, people say, glory. And when the pastor says, reach out for your pocketbook, Many people saw me. <laughs> Paul's final message to the Corinthians is to give with planned regularity, personal responsibility,
0: and proportionately. You're listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. This is the last episode in his very timely series, Healthy Living in a Sick World. You know, the beginning of healthy living is a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn about how to start a relationship with Jesus, or look at some of your unanswered questions, reach out to ltw.org slash Jesus right now. As you may know, Leading the Way has passionate staff around the world proclaiming the truth of God's Word. Recently, one of our officers shared a note from a young man who listens to Leading the Way in Iraq. Allow me to summarize portions of what he said. Because of persecution here in Iraq, I've learned to better lift the name of Jesus. Our entire family is publicly declaring that salvation is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. He is mighty and worthy of glory. Your messages and help from local staff help us grow and stand firm in Jesus. Through Leading the Way, we better understand our relationship with Christ. May the Lord bless you. We're so thankful that God uses Dr. Yusuf Leading the Way and local teams to reach and equip men and women with the gospel learn more about Dr. Yusuf and the global work of Leading the Way when you call 1-300-133-589 you can also go to ltw.org and experience testimonies about the impact of Leading the Way worldwide ltw.org that's about all for this episode but please join Dr. Yusuf on the radio online through Spotify, iHeart, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google or with the Leading the Way app for more sound teaching from Leading the Way.
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.